Welcome to the Experience Starting Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. So on this episode of the podcast, we continue our ongoing spotlight on student founders with a conversation with Josh Rombach. Josh is a student in our full-time MBA class of 2022, and we recently connected with him via Zoom to talk more about his background, his experience, what led him to Darden, and of course, his student venture, Peak. If you're a wine fan, this episode is essential listening. So without further ado, here's my interview with Josh Rombach. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brett. Good to see you. Yeah, great to see you. How is everything going? You're on fall break, right? I'm on fall break. It's a beautiful day here in Charlottesville. It's nice to have a little bit of downtime after after Q1. And uh, yeah, things are good. Yeah, fall break. Um, I say this to somebody who went to law school, and I think we've we got a few days. We've got a few days. Fall break uh, at DeHarden Business School. Uh, let's just put it this way. It's more than a few days long. It certainly is. I can't help but laugh a little bit, Brett. I don't think I've had two weeks off uh, in, in quite a while. So it's, it's nice to have a little breather. Yeah, and well-deserved, certainly. So um, what have you been up to? Um, obviously, I'm, I'm sure school's keeping you busy, but uh, you've been able to do anything fun over the, over the past uh, few days? Yeah, you know, I've been trying to get out. <clears throat> and we're going to get out for a hike, I think, today, Brett. And trying to get out and play a little bit of golf. Uh, I think trying to, you know, get out and enjoy Charlottesville as much as I can right now. And having moved from California, it's nice to actually have a fall season again. So trying to drink it all in. Yeah, it is officially fall. Um, not just because you can order a pumpkin spice latte at any <laughs> number of uh, coffee establishments, but it now, for those who are listening to the podcast, the weather doesn't come through as as well on these sessions but it is uh crisp it's like 50 60 degrees it is officially fall it feels great i love it all right well josh um tell us a little bit more about you who are you and what's your background yeah sure so um i was actually born here in charlottesville brett so this is a little bit of a homecoming for me um taking a step back, family moved from Charlottesville up to uh, New Hampshire right before I started high school. I went to college up at uh, Middlebury um, in Vermont. Uh, and then funny enough, family moved back about five years ago. And so I'm kind of following them around here a little bit, which is great. Um, but yeah, went to Middlebury. I was an environmental econ major there. Um, kind of fell in love with, uh, I'd say, sort of food and, and agriculture and sustainability, I think, more broadly during my time there. Um, so maybe a little bit of an um, uh, interesting path, I guess, into finance um, from kind of a liberal arts background. Um, so ended up actually interning um, at BlackRock between my junior and senior year, um, was on their private equity team and ended up actually rejoining them after graduation. So it was um, there, I guess, for about three and a half years. I had an awesome learning experience there, um, had an opportunity to work on a handful of sort of our consumer investments while I was at BlackRock. Um, and I think just more generally it was an awesome learning opportunity for me, kind of having come from a liber liberal arts background, um, had not seen too much sort of accounting and um, some of the modeling, some of the more technical aspects of finance. And so uh, it was definitely a, a bit of a baptism by fire there in an awesome way. Um, but I think it was incredibly helpful for me in, in that I think I realized pretty early in my time at Middlebury that was interested in um, sort of venture capital and private equity broadly. 
um, I think got the advice that a lot of people do and that, you know, kind of typically need to go through investment banking or consulting to kind of end up there. Um, and so it was incredibly fortunate to end up at um, BlackRock's PE team right out of school. And I think it was a little bit of a continuation of sort of the liberal arts, I guess, of, of the private equity industry and in that we were doing a bit of, um, we were doing uh, co-investing alongside, um, you know, other private equity and venture capital firms. And then we were actually investing in the firms themselves as well. So kind of got to see everything in terms of, um, you know, different stages of investing and uh, different industries. Um, and for me, it was a little bit of a full circle moment in that started, started to work on a little bit more of our consumer um, side and uh, more specifically started to work on some of the food and beverage um, investments, which again, kind of developed that interest early on during my time at, at Middlebury. And so, um, you know, fast forward um, when I was kind of leaving BlackRock and thinking about what was going to be next, um, ended up getting connected with an early stage growth equity firm that focused on, on the consumer space and founded by a, an entrepreneur and um, felt like it was going to be kind of a great opportunity for me to, to get my hands a little bit dirtier and kind of work with some of our portfolio companies a bit and um, just learn as much as I possibly could along the way. And so ended up actually moving out to California uh, in 2017 um, and was there right up until, I guess, December um, 2020. Um, and so I was you know, fortunate in that. I think I learned a ton. I had an some really incredible mentors along the way. And um, that was kind of ultimately what led me back to Darden. Where'd you live in California? I was up in Sonoma, up in wine country. Um, that seems like a pretty good place to land, a beautiful part of the world. Oh, it was fantastic. It was great. I'm, I'm not much of a, a city guy, Brett, and to be in, in, in Sonoma for a few years was absolutely incredible. It was great. Were you a, a wine person before you moved to Sonoma or do you not have much choice? If you live in Sonoma, you have to become a wine person. I think you're, you're forced into it a little bit. Um, definitely not a wine person before moving out there. And so I uh, definitely was trying to learn as much as I could and kind of immerse myself in that culture. Um, so it was a, a fun place to learn for sure. Yeah, I would imagine it's probably one of the better places you can learn about about wine here in the U.S. At least Virginia's got wineries. Uh, my home state of North Carolina does, but not quite on the same level as the, as the California <laughs> uh, wineries of the world. So, um, well, how did you get interested in pursuing an MBA? Is it something that you had thought about for a while or is it a relatively recent idea? You know, Brett, I think it was something that had always been on my radar. I think um, you know, going to a liberal, liberal arts undergrad always kind of felt like that would kind of be the next step in my career and kind of wanting to, um, you know, just continue my education, like always knew that that was something I, I, I had, had thought about. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, when I joined Sonoma Brands, felt like I kind of had the opportunity to um, become a little bit more involved in some of our investments and get a little bit more operating expertise in a way that I think highlighted um, that, you know, candidly, I'd spent all of my career on sort of the finance side. Um, and so having an opportunity to get a little bit more exposure to other parts of the business, I think highlighted for me that I would kind of really benefit from, um, you know, a general management program and, and just getting some sort of foundational knowledge of other parts um, of the business. I would say I also kind of realized um, having the opportunity to work with some really incredible entrepreneurs had a little bit of an entrepreneurial itch of my own. 
um, and realized I probably wasn't going to be able to scratch that entirely on the uh, on the investing side. And so felt like business school kind of not only provided that kind of very foundational kind of broad um, education that, you know, I think would benefit me um, as an entrepreneur, but also sort of provided some of the space and the resources and the time to um, pursue something more entrepreneurial, uh, whether or not I sort of knew exactly what that looked like at the time. Well, I want to stick with this entrepreneurial point you're making here. Um, is it something that you realize as you got closer to people who were actually doing this, that, you know, running their own businesses, launched their own venture, that you, that you realize this is, this is something I'd like to do. This is a potential path for me, or is it something that it had always been, been on your mind? I think it's something I had always thought about as a potential path, Brett. I think, um, I can't, I'm really not the type of person to probably, um, I would describe myself as probably pretty risk averse, honestly, which is maybe a little bit surprising for an entrepreneur. Um, uh, and so it's definitely something I had considered, I think, you know, realizing that I was going to be heading back to school um, helped provide, I guess, a little bit of an infra- a little bit of infrastructure and a little bit of a push to actually start working on something. Um, so it was always kind of in the back of my mind, but uh, I wouldn't describe myself probably previously as being all that entrepreneurial on my own. It's interesting. Um, it's been fun to talk with students in both the full-time and the executive MBA program about their entrepreneurial journey. Uh, for some students, they, they arrive at DART knowing it's exactly what they want to do and very, very much focused on that, may actually already have a venture uh, that, that's operational and, and they're helping to sort of take it to the next level, hoping to take it to the next level. Um, for other students, it kind of sparks while they're here um, and around people, or maybe it's about access to resources and you know, there's no better, better time to explore. So it's been fun having, having this conversation. So um, Josh, so let's talk a little bit more. You get to Darden, you know, you're, you're here. I mean, what, what stood out to you about Darden as you were kind of thinking about MBA programs? Um, you know, what, what really resonated with you? I guess there were a couple of things that I was really focused on, Brett. I mean, A, I think just the quality of the education here, I think it's always had a reputation for um, being a top-notch general manage- management program. And that was exactly what I was looking for. I really didn't want to um, go to a school that was kind of had a reputation for being maybe a little bit more solely focused and um, just feel like Darden kind of offers um, such a wide range of, of resources, you know, academically and, and professionally um, that I thought that was really going to kind of maximize uh, my ability to explore a little bit and kind of knowing that, um, you know, at least in part, I was coming back to school to, to do something entrepreneurial, wanted to make sure that there was kind of that wide range of, of options available. Um, maybe this is a more sort of personal and uh, selfish way to think about it, Brett, but, I, you know, I also, I'm not a city person, as I mentioned, um, was kind of familiar with Charlottesville and, uh, you know, really liked the idea of coming to a place where, you know, you're really kind of focused on, on being in school and, um, you know, love to spend time outside and Charlottesville certainly affords that. Um, but yeah, I think more importantly, really wanted to be in a place where I really get to know my classmates pretty well. And just felt like, um, you know, being in a city, I think people kind of have maybe their own, kind of social networks and whatever else. And so being in a place like Charlottesville, I felt like was really going to enable me to kind of immerse myself in, you know, the education and, you know, getting to know classmates and making some, some awesome friends, which has definitely been the case. 
Well, that's, that's great to hear. I mean, it certainly resonates with a lot of what we talk about as an admissions team when we connect with prospective students. Um, obviously, there are many great MBA programs in the world, uh, but when you kind of think about the experience that you can have in Charlottesville, I think it's probably fair to say that um, uh, school is more than just an academic hub for students, right? There's, there's a social element Absolutely. to it as well, um, in that you're perhaps more invested in those relationships uh, than you would be if, you know, you took and put it in a in a big city um, where people's lives you know really kind of largely play out ind independent of the school. Um, that kind of layering, I think, has a lot of impact in terms of relationships that people Absolutely. form. Well, all right. So you come to Darden. Um, you mentioned liberal arts background. You've uh, done some things in, in finance. You had some exposure to entrepreneurs. Um, so you come to Darden, and and what was uh, first year like? Uh, what's the adjustment uh, like in that first year? It was uh, drinking from the fire hose, Brett, for sure. I mean, I think I, um, I came into school like realizing that it was going to be quite a bit of work. Um, I think they, they kind of throw you into the deep end. And I, I think in hindsight, and maybe can I, appreci I can appreciate it a little bit more now that I'm kind of through core, <laughs> um, it's, uh, it, it was definitely intense. I mean, I think there are a ton of, there's a ton of reasons that I, I think that's a really positive thing. I think, you know, um, having sort of the support of a learning team, I think was incredible. I got incredibly lucky in that I had a great group and I think my section, uh, was part of section J. So we started a little bit later than, um, than the rest of the class. I mean, I think, um, kind of going through that experience together was incredibly bonding. And, uh, I think you really kind of get to know people on a, on a different level. I would say academically, I was surprised in a really positive way. I think, um, a lot of what I had learned professionally, it was, it was a lot more just sort of on the fly, like, you know, here's how kind of things get done and, and kind of off you go. But to be able to take a step back, even in some of the finance classes where like, I felt like I you know, would be pretty comfortable with some of the course material, like being able to take a step back and understand sort of the underlying theory for, you know, why something gets done the way that it does, or, you know, why something um, is sort of prevalent in the industry, I thought was really helpful. Um, and so to kind of have that context, even on parts of sort of the business world that I felt pretty comfortable was um, really eye-opening and, and really interesting. Um, so, I mean, it, it definitely pushes you and, and stretches you and uh, it's fun to kind of come out on the, uh, the other side of that and kind of realize how much I think, you know, you're able to learn. Well, we've had some of your Section J classmates here on the podcast um, talking about uh, their experience, of course, for our listeners who haven't had a chance to listen to those episodes, uh, Section J, uh, it's normally Section A, B, C, D, and E, uh, but there was a one-off January section uh, a couple years ago to kind of uh, offer students flexibility uh, when COVID hit and obviously some people's timelines changed and logistically it was perhaps a little bit more complicated for people to get here to the U.S. and, and to get settled to start an MBA program. Uh, the school introduced a one-off uh, January section. And so uh, that is the Section J. Uh, we had um, Elizabeth Blankenship on here uh, from, from Section J talking about her startup. I imagine it's probably been awesome. fun, fun for y'all to uh, connect given your shared entrepreneurial interests. Oh my gosh, it's so great to have you know other entrepreneurs within sort of the broader Darden community, but then you really get lucky when you have someone like Elizabeth in your section as well. So um, yeah, very grateful to have her as a, a friend and uh, a confidant. Well, talk to us a little bit more. You come to Darden you, in the first year, very busy, got a lot going on, um, but also in part, as part of that, it, it sounds like um, 
you start maybe really kind of getting into your, your entrepreneurial path and kind of thinking mm-hmm. about what, what might be next uh, for you with a startup. So uh, what's your, what's your idea and, and where, where did it come from? Yeah, for sure. So I think you kind of uh, led us down the right path here, Brett. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, I, I'm not a wine person. I did not kind of grow up around it. I wouldn't say family is kind of super into wine. And so, you know, moved out to Sonoma, I guess I was 26 when I moved out there and so much of the culture in Sonoma really kind of revolves around the wine scene. Um, and, you know, I think I put a pretty good faith effort into trying to, you know, learn the subtleties and the nuances of, of wine. And I think I pretty quickly realized that's really probably don't have the palate or the patience for it, Brett, if I'm being honest with myself. Um, you know, I, I guess on the flip side of that, I mean, what I was doing for um, our firm in part was, you know, spending quite a bit of time talking to entrepreneurs and trying to find new investment opportunities and looking at sort of trends in the space. And um, one of the things that we were kind of investing behind broadly was this push towards kind of better for you um, kind of across every subsector within kind of the consumer space. And so, um, you know, certainly, and you've seen that sort of play out, continuing to play out in sort of the food and beverage world, but um, one of the things we were looking at quite a bit was kind of this push towards low and no alcohol products. So like non-alc beer, I think has, has really kind of become pretty prevalent in the last couple of years. And so, you know, I'm, I'm in Sonoma, uh, you know, wanting to sort of participate in, in sort of that wine culture, but, you know, you look at the product itself and how it's marketed and even like how it's served, right? Like you can only really buy for the most part, the big sort of 750 mil bottles of wine and, Felt like it really just hadn't innovated in the same way that other sort of categories within consumer have. And so, you know, I think if it was, you know, part sort of personal experience and wanting to find something that was, you know, a bit, a bit healthier um, and just sort of marketed in a more modern way. And, you know, simultaneously seeing that data um, in terms of, you know, how have the other, you know, categories within alcohol, even how have they evolved. Um, and so it was definitely something that was eating at me for quite a bit. Um, I was fortunate to have a, a really good friend who was in the winemaking space in Sonoma. Um, and he came across this concept called Piquette, um, which is kind of the, um, you know, the underlying method of winemaking that we're, we're, we're utilizing. Um, and so Brad, I mean, Piquette is essentially, you think about traditional winemaking, right? Where, you, you know, you crush grapes, that juice goes off and becomes, um, delicious wine, but for the most part, the sort of leftover solids, the grape skins and, and sort of whatever else, I mean, that stuff for the most part is probably heading to a, to a landfill, um, or back into the, you know, the vineyards in some cases, um, Piquette, uh, we actually take that solid material and we rehydrate it. So we add water back to it. And what it makes is, um, sort of a naturally occurring low alcohol, um, kind of wine spritzer and someone described it recently as like the rebooted wine cooler, which is probably the perfect way to, uh, describe it. Um, so I guess the industry is kind of coming full circle at this point. Um, but you know, it, it was funny, Brett, I mean, this is came across the product was, fortunate to kind of try a couple different products. Interestingly, they're one of the sort of the pretty bigger producers is um, in upstate New York. Um, so had, had a couple different um, versions of Piquette and realized that was totally the answer to exactly what I was looking for. Like this is a way to kind of participate in wine. It was sustainably made um, just given that it was upcycled, 
you know, lighter, lower alcohol and um, felt like there was an opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, refresh that. And it's certainly not a new concept. It's, it's been around since ancient Rome, but to kind of take something ancient and kind of bring it back to life in a uh, refreshed form was super exciting to me. And so um, probably cliche, but one of these things that, you know, ate at me for probably a couple of years before we actually started going down the path to, to produce it. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that this concept, this approach has been around since ancient Rome. I have never heard of it uh, before. And I say that as someone who spent six Christmas seasons working in a wine shop in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it was all, you know, it's all bottles of wine uh, at a wine bar there. But you're right that there's not been a whole lot of innovation in terms of, well, packaging you know it's still pretty much the bottle the the big controversy when i was working um in that wine shop was shifting from corked bottles to screw top and this was like oh my gosh is this gonna happen is this gonna work um because you know people can be a little traditional a little purist about this um so is that something i mean have, have people actually heard of this are you oftentimes introducing this to people for the first time I'd say for the most part, we're introducing people for the first time. I'd say the uh, kind of natural wine community, I think is, uh, and I say this very endearingly, I mean, it's, it's kind of the wine nerd crowd and which is awesome. Um, but kind of taking this concept that I think is, you know, it's been around for a long time, but most people really don't know what it is. I mean, I think we're really trying to introduce something pretty new to folks. And so that's certainly been um, a fun and challenging part of, you know, launching the business is like, Hey, this is something new. How do we talk about this? How do we explain it? Um, and I think it's always interesting when there's kind of an education component to a, a new product, but, you know, to your point, Brett, I mean, um, and certainly kind of have encountered that very sort of purist attitude around winemaking, which is great. I think it's, uh, you know, definitely, um, appeals to, to a lot of folks, but I think providing something that, kind of takes some of the intimidation factor out of wine and is a little bit more approachable and kind of designed for a little bit of a, an easier drinking experience, I think is also attractive. Yeah. I was going to ask about competition because I mean, I can remember where I was the first time I saw a hard seltzer. I'm sitting at a Red Sox game <laughs> and with my dad and, you know, they walk around with the like, you know, trays of stuff that you can buy beer or whatever and yeah. they had white claw and i was like i don't know hard seltzer is that gonna work and of course you know i'm way wrong about that it's a huge <laughs> enormous industry um and there's so much competition now i was just in the grocery store not so long ago topo chico has its own hard seltzer i mean it feels like if you're in the seltzer game and you don't have a hard version like what <laughs> you better get on it so um it feels like there's a lot of competition for for dollars but maybe there's just a lot of dollars um and you know in, in this particular industry. Yeah, it's interesting to see, like I mentioned earlier, Brett, some of the, the numbers. I mean, you think about beer over the last few years really primarily has been driven by this hard seltzer craze. Um, spirits has really been driven by sort of this push towards like the ready to drink cocktails that I'm sure a lot of people have encountered. Um, but then you think about wine and it's like the really only piece of innovation I think that's kind of happened in the space is canned wine, um, which, you know, marginal, I would say at best in terms of um, something innovative, but it's fun to see some of these trends, uh, you know, as they continue to play out, I think there's a lot of folks who are maybe a little tapped out on the seltzer craze as well, and kind of looking for, for something else. And so 
um, certainly an area of opportunity for us. So where are you right now uh, with, with, your, with your company? So we um, was doing, I was doing sort of the back and forth a little bit um, during core, which I, I don't think I would recommend to, to folks out there uh, to California. We were, you know, continuing to do some of our, our, our um, R&D. Um, and so landed with a product, I guess, probably late last spring with kind of a formulation that we were excited about. And so um, I was fortunate enough to be accepted into VPX Square this summer. And so I was working with kind of the Darden Accelerator and, and the awesome folks at Batten. Um, and so we actually ended up doing our first canning run in July. And then we launched the business um, direct to consumer, uh, I guess, mid-August. So um, the way we kind of set up the business, Brett, we're shipping uh, direct to consumer into about 35 states right now. Um, and uh, I'd say the, the, the big challenge for us right now is trying to, to crack some, some retail doors here in Charlottesville. So um, it was definitely a fun moment to kind of see it come to life and to kind of be able to open that box and hold a, a can for the first time. Um, but uh, it's been it's been incredibly satisfying, I think, to be able to go to um, classmates and kind of be able to get their support and kind of see folks, um, you know, providing feedback and kind of helping with ideas and uh, yeah, enjoying the product. So um, definitely still uh, quite a bit of work to do just in terms of figuring out some of the distribution pieces. And it's definitely a, an interesting time to be launching a, an alcohol brand, especially direct to consumer, uh, you know, in light of sort of the pandemic and, and some of the challenges just around supply chain and uh, all the rest of it. But it's definitely been an incredible learning opportunity. So, um, yeah. It's a regulated industry. There's uh, ABC and all this kind of stuff. Um, that adds another la layer of complexity, I would imagine, if you're if you're trying to launch a product and it's probably got to go through a few more channels. Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. I think that's definitely something where we're still getting up the learning curve every day here, Brett. Um, you know, it, it is, it's really interesting. I mean, wine is kind of treated differently than other, um, you know, industries within, within alcohol. Uh, every state has its own sort of regulatory and compliance needs and uh, to be shipping direct consumer and then to, you know, you know, direct consumer being one channel and then sort of retail being another, um, you know, also have pretty different um, uh, requirements in terms of, you know, making sure that you're staying in compliant. Um, and it's, uh, it is certainly not one of those things. I mean, you, you really need to be as compliant as you possibly can from day one. So um, trying to figure that stuff on the fly, like, you know, while doing, um, you know, product development and stuff it was certainly a challenge and uh, one we're certainly continuing to navigate. Yeah, it was one of these things that came up in our conversation about Kobuchi, uh, which is um, Jingshu, it's her, yeah. um, it's coffee, kombucha, but because, um, Kombucha has an alcohol component to it, a low, but nevertheless an alcohol component. Some of the regulatory stuff that she was having to work through uh, to get it into retail stores, um, mm -hmm. maybe not initially anticipated, but was adding adding some overhead and, and a little bit of a delay, I think, to some of some of her efforts. Yeah, it's it's incredibly interesting. I think there's there's quite a bit of gray area, especially I think if you're doing something um, you know, innovative, like I think Jing is, is doing, I mean, you, you really kind of have to carve out your own path and make sure you're kind of checking in with the right regulatory bodies and, uh, you know, making sure that the retail retailer and the customer ultimately are, are kind of comfortable with, with sort of what you're, what you're saying. But, uh, I think that's usually a, probably a good sign if you're having to figure out something like that, 
for the first time. Uh, pr probably a, a nice uh, competitive advantage in some ways. Yeah, it, it at least suggests that you're close to going to market, right? You're, you're now kind of moved beyond this sort of testing it in kind of a maybe a, a, a more limited way. And now you are you're ready to go go meet more consumers uh, and, and kind of be out there in, in maybe a, a little bit of a broader way. And so totally. Um, one of the things that I'm curious about is um, is on the packaging front. Um, this is uh, something that has come up um, for uh, different beverages, particularly those that are packaged in aluminum. Uh, there's been shortages um, of aluminum periodically, and I, I know it had certainly had some implications for some of the hard seltzers and and their distrib distribution. Is this something that you have, uh, in, have you, that you've encountered? Yes. <laughs> we kind of encountered similar issues, I'd say, with pretty much every aspect of production, to be totally honest, Brad. I mean, everything from labels to the cans themselves um, to even like we have a little kind of snap top four pack, which is kind of how our, our product is, is shipped. Uh, really every piece of it, I would say we encountered kind of supply chain issues due to COVID. And so um, definitely a little bit of a trial by fire there in terms of trying to figure out how to navigate all that and like being able to procure what you need in the first place, but, um, you know, definitely hit some, some delays, uh, along the way. Um, so definitely some lessons learned probably the hard way, uh, in our first production run. Well, it, as you noted, it's an uncommon time to be trying to do really anything, let alone ship wine, um, around the around the country. Um, and of course, uh, the supply chain issues, which we hear about on the news or read in the paper, if you are in the shipping business uh, right now, you're probably experiencing that that firsthand. You just kind of say, hey, this is what it's like to do business right now. There's only so much I can do. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, uh, it's a, probably a nice proxy for entrepreneurship as a whole. I mean, there's going to be things that pop up inevitably that aren't going to go your way. And certainly, you know, you get lucky breaks as well, but, um, you know, just trying to figure out sort of the best path forward in light of kind of constantly changing, um, environment and situation. So, uh, I guess grateful in, 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 in some respects to have, uh, uh, you know, had to navigate probably a more difficult situation than, uh, you know, what I hope we would encounter as a you know more steady state. So, uh, pretty much everything that, that could go wrong probably did go wrong on our first production run. So nice to have some scars, I guess, in some ways. Uh, as someone who listens to how I built this, that sounds right um, to the entrepreneurial <laughs> journey or like you get into it and maybe you haven't fully thought through. I mean, like it's all part of the like there's just stuff that comes up and you just have to keep keep moving forward. It feels feels very real. Yes, absolutely. It's well put. Um, so you mentioned VPX squared and, uh, we've had Jason Brewster on here to talk about all the, all the great resources in the network of people, um, that are available to students through the, the Bat Institute. We've also had, it should, it should be noted, David Tuvey, uh, MJ awesome. Toms, Robin Swift. I mean, the incredible group of people at, at Batten and of course, Sean Carr. Um, have you continued to stay, stay engaged with the Batten Institute as you've kind of started to you know, ship and gone through this initial production run? Have you continued to leverage the resources here? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, being part of VPX Square this summer, I think provided some really, really helpful infrastructure for us and just some accountability. So I um, was in a cohort with, with Jing and, and Elizabeth, which was great, kind of all working on consumer products and in some form or another 
Um, and so to kind of have the infrastructure that, that VPX squared and, and sort of the Batten Institute more broadly provided was amazing and, you know, enabled me to kind of focus on that full time um, this summer. Uh, I would say it definitely kind of extends even beyond, I think, probably what I would have expected. I think, um, you know, the, the, the network of mentors, I think, that, that Batten has and um, sort of their ability to kind of maintain these connections with alums. I mean, it was just really, really powerful for us. Um, and so being able to kind of have all those folks in your corner and be like, Hey, you know, here's, here's kind of the, the issue that I'm dealing with today, or if you have any ideas on, on X, Y, and Z, I mean, they've just been incredibly helpful. So I, I definitely do my best to kind of keep them all, uh, involved and, and kind of up to speed. Um, you know, and it's, it's nice to kind of have those folks where you can really be honest and like, Hey, here's, here's kind of what I'm struggling with. Um, and to have, have them be able to tap into their networks and, and provide support has really been a total game changer for us. Yeah. I was going to ask about the network of people. Cause one of the things that, uh, Jing has talked about and Elizabeth and, oh gosh, I feel like a lot of, a lot of the female founders that we've had here on the podcast, um, there's, there's quite a few of them. Uh, they've all talked about this, this network, um, really kind of through the KPI club that uh, mm-hmm. was started. And I was, I was wondering about, you know, network of other student founders. It feels like there's um, some real energy around entrepreneurship right now at Darden amongst the students. Um, and that there's quite a few uh, people who have, have ideas and, and they're trying to kind of you know, grow and, and build those things, take them to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, you know, in large part due to the work that, that Batten does. And I think, you know, some of that is more, uh, you know, more formal programs like VPX squared. Some of it is less formal. Like we had sort of these weekly founder um, get togethers over the summer and uh, you know, the whole Batten crew would kind of be there. Um, I think there's really just some great inner connectivity between, um, you know, the different resources that, that the school provides. So, I mean, I would be remiss not to kind of give a shout out and a thank you to kind of Jason and, and Mary Andrews from this summer and MG Toms was, uh, an early taste tester for us. So, uh, very brave of her to, uh, volunteer herself for that role. And then, uh, Damon DeVito as well. Um, he runs, um, venture velocity class. Um, I'd say, yeah, I think they've really done an incredible job of sort of fostering this culture of support. Like there's really not a, there's definitely not a kind of competitive um, air to it. Um, and I think there's, you know, obviously a tremendous amount of resources to kind of go around, but kind of fostering this culture of, um, you know, we're kind of all in this together. And for the most part, I think we're all really encountering the same kind of highs and lows that are inherent in, in, in entrepreneurship and uh, definitely creating sort of this openness. Um, and so it's, it's amazing to be able to pick up the phone and text, you know, from texting Jing at night, it's like, Hey, this is a stressful day. Like, here's what I've got going on. And she's like, Hey, you know, I've got something similar going on. And you can kind of, uh, help kind of pull each other through it. Um, which is just an incredible, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great support system to have. And it, it definitely kind of keeps you going. And, uh, I think it definitely makes it a lot more fun. So, um, yeah, kudos to the Batten team and to Damon for, um, you know, all the work that they do to kind of help facilitate that. Well, what's next for, for your venture? What are you looking, looking forward to? Yeah, Brett, I mean, I'd say we're really kind of thinking about using, um, the time I've got left here to kind of continue to, um, prove out the concept. So I'd say the big thing for us right now, we're looking to, um, sort out sort of our distribution situation. There's definitely a handful of accounts here in Charlottesville that we'd love to 
get some product in and, and just kind of get a better understanding of, uh, you know, whether the consumer is as excited as, as we are about, you know, what we're building. Um, and so definitely kind of leaning into, uh, you know, the, the next few months and through the spring as a, as a test and continuing to just move the ball forward and kind of uh, in, in small ways um, to can continue to de-risk and kind of understand kind of what we're, what we have here. Um, so it's, it's an exciting spot to be and, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing where the next few months takes us. And if somebody wants to learn more, um, just to make sure we have all, all the details here, what's the name of the company and, and where do they go to learn more? So the name of the company is Peak Paquette Wine Seltzers. Uh, you can check us out on, uh, online at drinkpeak.com, it's P-I-I-Q. Um, and they can also check us out on Instagram at drink peak. All right. And last, last question, a little bit of a riff on our typical last question, which is a piece of advice for prospective students. I wonder if there's something you've learned along your entrepreneurial journey that you, that you would share as a, as a lesson, a piece of advice, uh, with our listeners who may be similarly inclined thinking about launching their own venture. Yeah, I guess I've got a couple of things, Brett, and I'd say I'm, uh, definitely still working to kind of internalize this advice, uh, myself, but, you know, I, I had a, a great conversation with Damon DeVito pretty early on in my time at school. And, um, I think he really kind of helped frame the opportunity that, that folks have here at, at Darden, um, in terms of really just kind of going for it. Uh, I think being able to kind of do a little bit of a, um, an inventory on sort of, you know, your fears and kind of understanding how you can kind of de-risk that and certainly kind of fits into the broader, you know, effectuation framework that I think we talk a lot about here at Darden, but, um, you know, I think really just kind of going for it. I think that's, uh, that's definitely been a, um, a little bit of a mantra, I guess, for me, um, in light of sort of all the challenges that we face, uh, just continuing to kind of push forward and, 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 uh, yeah, kind of go for it in each, each kind of stage of the business. I think the other thing I would mention, uh, Damon DeVito, as, as you might know, is a, a, a very good golfer. Uh, and he kind of has this adage of just letting your next shot be your best shot. Uh, and I think that's something that I continue to kind of grapple with. I think it's easy to kind of get hung up on, you know, something kind of not quite going right, but uh, continuing to move forward and, um, you know, thinking about how you can kind of make the next action that you take, uh, you know, how do you kind of learn from some, some of the sort of past mistakes and, and kind of benefit from it. Um, so that's definitely something that I think quite a bit about and something I wish I had kind of thought about maybe earlier in this entrepreneurial journey. That windshield mentality, I guess, is uh, what, what people talk about. Um, just what's, what's ahead, not what's behind. Um, well, that. the whole, the whole point about it, Damon and you know, Damon's advice to go for it really does resonate with that conversation that we had with Elizabeth uh, about her business, Coton. Um, and I think he gave her the advice of like, well, what makes you most scared? What makes you most afraid? Or, you know, what, what's, what, what do you think is the hardest thing um, when you think about this particular venture idea? Mm -hmm. And she said, well, I, I think sourcing, uh, you know, where, where, you know, is it going to work out to be able to get these materials? He said, well, go do that first. <laughs> Actually go run towards that. Do, do the hardest thing first. And it worked out and you know, she is where she is now, uh, you know, really kind of 
you know, to help, help me take her venture to the next level. And uh, that was really fascinating advice. I think a lot of people would think like, I'm going to start off and build some momentum and maybe do a few easy things. And it was maybe a little bit counter uh, to that. In fact, a lot counter to that. Absolutely. That, that definitely sounds like a, a daemonism and definitely one that's incredibly helpful and uh, kind of understanding the right path forward. Well, Josh, it's been such a pleasure uh, talking with you. Thank you for coming on the podcast to talk more about Peak. I'm, I'm glad uh, glad things are going well. It sounds like you're, you're building up some momentum and, and lots to look forward to. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate it. And that was my interview with Josh Rombach a student in our full-time MBA class of 2022. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.